SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Song is on on SAFM. Indeed, Song is on here on SAFM. Same-sex couples will soon have... I wouldn't quite say more rights, but they'll get more dignity that has been, for whatever reason, taken away from them. Think back to the words of Albie Sachs. He said there aren't gay rights, there aren't straight rights, there aren't LGBTQIA rights, they are human rights. They belong to humans. And we certainly are a step in the right direction with the potential amendment of Section 6 of the Principal Act Civil Union Amendment Bill. Lechakonolo, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Your thoughts initially, please. Good evening, Songezo, and good evening to your listeners. What are your thoughts with this amendment bill? Because I think it does do something, even though it might not necessarily have come at the most opportune time, because the best time to do this was in 94, with the enactment of the Constitution and the understanding of Section 9, to include, among other things, what we will be talking about today. Nonetheless, it has come, and that should be celebrated for what it's worth. No, that's true. I mean, it's a step in the right direction. Um, it's a step, as I call it, for true marriage equality for same-sex couples. Um, so we just need the president to sign it into law, and then we are a step in the right direction. Let's talk about the importance of this, because it does flow essentially from the Constitutional Court judgment of 2005 in Furry versus Minister of Home Affairs, when for the first time in this country, it was now law because of a pronouncement by the Constitutional Court of same-sex persons engaging and concluding a marriage as would be between a man and a woman. But there was a little, if you like, loophole in that the marriage officer could opt out and not recognize such persons. This amendment looks to make sure that is no longer, so to speak, the loophole. Yeah, I, I suppose the the point of departure is to start with Furi, right? So in Furi, you had these two women who wanted to get married and challenged the provisions of the Marriage Act, because the Marriage Act says the marriage is between one man and one woman. And Ms. Furry and her partner was like, you know, we, we can't stand for this. So we want to challenge the constitutionality of this act. And we know we have this um, interesting thing in South Africa called separation of powers, which basically means that one branch of state, being the three branches, executive, legislative, and judiciary, cannot do the work of the other people. And lawmaking in this country is the function of the legislature. And so what um, the judgment in Faree said is that, look, we know that this is unconstitutional. Uh, Here are the guidelines. We don't want you to create a separate but equal sort of uh, legislation, but we effectively leave it in the hands of the legislature, right? So we left it in the hands of the legislature, and the legislature was like, well, then, you know, we live in a sort of quasi-Christian state, so what we can do to not piss off the people who are Christians in this country is that we're going to make sure that we have a marriage act, which is the one woman, one wife, and then we're going to create the separate act, which is called the Civil Unions Act. Right? And this Civil Unions Act is going to say any people who want to get married, but particularly focused on people who want to get married and conclude a same-sex union would be able to get married. Now, what is really crucial here is that Section 5 and Section 6 did two things. Section 5 said a 
marriage officer who is a church, you know, you could get married in a church effectively, but you could also get married at a home affair. But the people who would marry you at a home affair had this exemption. And the exemption said, if you as a marriage officer, i.e. a home affairs official, um, believed because of your conscious belief, religion, that you did not want to conclude the same-sex marriage, then you would effectively ask the minister to exempt you from concluding this uh, same-sex marriage. Now, the practical implication of this is that, mm. right? Um, for a number of years, same-sex couples have gone from pillar to post trying to get married. We think about the instance of a lesbian couple a couple of years ago who effectively had to go to seven home affairs before they can get married. Because at each home affairs that they went to, one, they experienced homophobia from entering the doors of yes. home affairs by a security guard, for instance, telling them, why do you want to get married to each other when there's so many men available? Mm. Now, so the practical effect you... is that... Uh, yes? No, no, sorry, carry on. I beg your pardon. The practical effect yes. is... So the, 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 the practical effect of this is that even though, in theory, we have this law to be able to get married, a number of us were not able to because of the bureaucracy, right? Because of this exemption... Home affairs official could either one say, we don't have any official in this home affairs that marries people of your kind. Two, we don't have, we only have people who marry people of your kind every second or third day. So that effectively means that it was state-sanctioned homophobia. We had the state saying that officials of a secular state who provide a, a, a government service we're able to say, no, we can't marry you because we are homophobic. Your thoughts at home, 0891-104-207. We're having a conversation with Mr. Latlohonolo Mahorwana, who's a lawyer and social justice activist. He is a pupil advocate at the bar and will soon take his examinations. We certainly do wish him all of the best for that. But more importantly, we are talking about human rights in the context of those that in society are now categorized as the LGBTQIA community for the purposes of marriage. We know in times before it was always men and women in the statutory books. Now South Africa is moving on with the times and there's a Civil Union Act, Civil Union Amendment Bill in particular to repeal parts of Section 5 and 6, which effectively do not give marriage officers or those persons in the public service the opportunity to opt out of what effectively is a constitutional obligation to honor each and every citizen by affording one one's dignity. Let's, no, no, let's, carry, let's carry on the conversation here because you mentioned that that exemption still existed and that exemption wasn't so much the law as it was attitude. Let, let's focus on the attitude of those who will still be in a position potentially to frustrate persons who wish to enter into a marriage, a same-sex marriage. And, and it's not enough to simply legislate it out. You almost need to win them over in the mind because if you win, them on the, win those individuals over in the mind, there's less reason to have the law to make it mandatory. People need to understand that people are people and preferences are different. It's a prerogative of Section 9 of our Constitution which speaks to equality. But essentially, it's also a matter of choice. I mean, why should they... I mean, I even object in my own way to the fact that there are two bills that regulate marriage or two instruments that regulate marriage the civil union well, I mean, act and the ordinary two, marriage right? act interestingly enough there are three types of marriages in south africa i mean 
the other one is not legislated at yet, but you have the Recognition of Customary Marriages Act, right? Which also is, is a different ballpark because effectively it's saying that you could marry in terms of custom, right? But here I am, a Tswana gay man in South Africa who wants to participate in uh, rituals to get married, but I won't be able to get married in terms of the Recognition of Customary Marriages Act because the act itself, even though it doesn't say... Uh, it's between one man and one woman. The implications of the recognition of customary marriage mm, act mm. is between a man and a woman, right? So if you think yes. about Section 7 of the recognition of customary marriage act, which deals with proprietary consequences, it says a husband can do this, a wife can do this. So no, you know, um, <laughs> indication or including same-sex people, mm. right? And Yes, granted, this was passed in 1998, but I think the more fundamental question is we live in a state where, like, it was okay for lawmakers country who are guided by the Constitution to say, hey, hold up, we can create the civil union, right? and we can put in the Section 6, right? Because we need to remember that Section 6 has been on the law books since the enactment of the Civil Unions Act, which is 2016, right? So it's been, what, almost, it's 14 years that it's been on the statute books, right? And we yes. as activists, as academics, have been saying, why is this here? And only now, and thankfully because of like a private member's bill, because let's not forget that this was a, a member of the uh, Congress of the People who was the one who brought this private member bill to amend Section 6 to the Constitution. So it wasn't even like uh, the, the, the ruling party or the big opposition parties. It was really a member of a small party in Parliament to say, this cannot exist on the statute books anymore. And but I suppose having... your question about... Yes? No, no, carry on, my question. Yeah, your, your question about changing, I mean, it's, it's quite challenging to think about changing attitudes, right? Because the, the, the thing is, these people were emboldened by the law. I think the situation would be different if Section 6 wasn't there to begin with, right? Now Section 6 has been made, was there, and now we are going to repeal Section 6. But effectively what the lawmaker is also saying in the repealing of Section 6 is we're going to give people a 24-month period, you know, in order to continue to be a homophobic, right? Um, and then they can no longer be homophobic. But I think there is something about the law telling particular people not to do particular things. If the law from the very beginning said, you are supposed to marry queer people. Whether those people had prejudices or not, they couldn't exercise them in a legal way. But effectively now, that's what they've been doing. They've been like, the law empowers me to exercise my homophobia. Let's talk about the fact that all of this, with it taking as long as it has, it has robbed persons with the ability to improve their socioeconomic standing if used correctly as people tend to use marriages for and how the absence of that institution has in many ways not allowed people to realize their full potential within the institution of marriage because if this law is not right, everything else that is predicated on this law equally would lag in the development of people, in the development of the socioeconomic standing. Even the forms that one fills in, it still doesn't recognize the fact that one is in a same-sex marriage. They will ask you, first of all, your sex, and you'll have to say male or female, and you say married, and then it assumes that for so long as you have said you're a male, that your partner is a female, vice versa. So can we talk about now what this means 
on the broader scale for this country and some of the things that need to change to be able to contemplate the times that are 2020? I mean, we, we need to start thinking of, you know, Sarah Ahmed, who is a queer theorist, often speaks about queer lives are not admitted as lives in society, right? So the fact that, like, people can, you know, effectively ignore our rights at will and now be empowered by legislation is really crucial. You make a very important point, right? You think about, like, the, the way that queer people have been treated in society, the way that queer people have been treated as, as you know, being deviant towards um, sexuality, being deviant towards culture. That's how we are viewed. And now you have a situation where what happens is now you can't even get married because oftentimes is that one of the reasons, one of the major reasons why I believe queer people want to get married is that if one of them dies, that there is no tussle about like what is supposed to happen with the person, how people are supposed to be buried. Because can you imagine a situation where I'm not married right now and I pass away and my partner is saddled fighting my homophobic family? about how to bury me, right? So the, the civil unions like and marriage effectively is for, for, for you to sort of try and alleviate those issues. They may exist, but at least you would have been legally married. But now there has been that access to, to, to a lot of people not wanting to get married. And let us be clear, not all queer people want to get married, and marriage does not mean um, that you, you are legitimately queer or closer to proximity of heterosexuality. But it means yes. that if I wanted to get married as a queer person, I want to be able to exercise that right and not go to seven home affairs in order for me to be to get married. And we all often think about the, the, the situation of, like, straight people never have to think about this. Heterosexual people will go to home affairs and will get married. And this is not something that they have to think about. You, as a queer person, wanting to... Um, get married, you as a queer person wanting to get married, have to think about like the hurdles that you need to pass. Like there might be potential homophobia when you get to the home affairs. And therefore you don't get married. So, you know, I think that this law in many ways allows us to, as I said, true marriage equality. And I want to also say this. I know that there has been talks about collapsing all the marriage legislation in this country and effectively creating a single marriage statute. And I think that would be true equality. Because the mere fact that you have a marriage act and a civil union act already tells you what legislation thinks about, like, queer unions, right? So they're calling it a union and not a marriage. And it says mm. something, although subtle, tells something about how it's not a marriage in the Victorian sense. It's a union between these two people. So there's also that disjuncture that, like, the Marriage Act is, like, the, 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 the top one, and then you have a recognition of customary marriages, like, which falls after that. And then you have Subservient, these yes. queer people who, con- who conclude unions. I want to ask you a couple of questions before I bring in uh, Reverend Debucho Klaas. He's a religion program officer at the Other Foundation. He's going to answer, if you like, from the perspective of the church and religion, and he is listening in on this conversation. We've had him before, and we touched very briefly on a subject similar to this and the role of the church in some of the social ills, if I can call it that. So he is on the line, and I'm asking you this question with the hope that he's going to, in a way, predicate 
for the questions I'm going to ask him and the responses that he will offer. How do you think the role, or rather, how do you think the church has a role in addressing some of, I want to call them social abnormalities, because ultimately it falls to, or it boils down to not recognizing people for who they are and the choices that they have chosen and made for themselves. What role, in your view, as one who falls in this community and as a lawyer who's got the backing of the law, so to speak, that the church has in engaging its communities and engaging its institutions, if you like, for the purposes of remodeling society to accept people for who they are. Hello? Hello? Can you, did you hear the question? Yes, I'm here. Did yes, you hear I did the hear the question. So let's get your um, response, please. Yes, so I wanted to say that there are a number of queer people who are religious and who are Christians, right? So how do we make them feel at home in the church if we're saying that the way that they're living and the way that they love is incorrect? How do we make them feel loved in the church? How do we then build community with these people if we're going to chase them out of the church? Essentially, yes. Debo, are you... Letranola, are you there? Yes, I'm there. I'm here. I'm here. Okay, are you still giving your response or are you done? No, I'm done. Thank you. Okay, no, I appreciate that. Uh, Debucho, you are there, my dear Reverend. Welcome back. Thank you very much. We last had a conversation with you just after Easter. And I suppose that is a good question to ask you. How does the church adopt its policies, its doctrine, its interpretation of the Bible, relative to the times in which the Bible is being read, relative to the community to whom that Bible is being read, or better yet, relative to the person who might be reading the Bible and falls into this category of people who still enjoy, maybe enjoy is not the word, or who suffer still from the kind of oppression that essentially this conversation is about. The LGBTQI people in the church, what does the church do and say about them? And how can it evolve with the times. What should it do? For those who want to answer that question and are not Debucho class, I invite you please to call us on 0891-104-207. Debucho, good evening. Hi, good, good evening, Songheza. Thank you very much uh, for the invitation. Uh, uh, sincerely, I mean, uh, in all in all earnestness, uh, the church has a responsibility of building people, of enhancing life, of a building community mm. and that that role uh, is a role that the church uh, no matter how much it simply wants to negate remains its role and and that it is a place um, that must be embracing and receiving all people and um, Certainly, uh, how scripture, uh, the Bible has been uh, managed has um, uh, in many ways been a, a problem uh, to the extent that it has excluded, in particular, uh, in this instance of our conversation, uh, LGBTI people uh, most often. Whilst at the same time, we must say that it has been a site of struggle because there have been obviously uh, interpretations have been about either being conservative 
or following a liberatory trajectory. And that has been, therefore, the situation in the church. Uh, whilst, of course, it appears that the dominant forces would be those who are conservative, excluding, discriminating, we also know that in the church, similarly, are those who are saying um, there is a, the image of God in all persons and as, you know, are engaging in the struggle in which the church opens its doors widely. And, 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 and in fact, not only are they just merely allies to the LGBTI people, but the LGBTI people themselves are leading in, in vocalization um, and realization of the church doors being open for all, um, regardless of sexual orientation. And, and so that's, that, that's it. And in fact, I want to simply say, uh, none of those who are excluded should give up on the church, at least on the basis of understanding that its purpose is to build community and that therefore it must be engaged to ensure that it remains true to that calling of building um, uh, communities, enhancing people's lives. Mm. I'm going to engage you in the role of the church in building communities because I'm going to specifically predicate that point in relation to a question I had with Reverend Purity Malinga. At the time I was having this conversation with her, she was then the presiding bishop-elect of the Methodist Church, and I took her through what effectively is the Methodist Church of Southern Africa's constitution. And she couldn't satisfy that under her watch, this type of conversation would be given meaning and expression to reflect the times because I had said to her, the church itself, through one of their reverends, Ecclesia Malan, I think it was, she wasn't allowed to marry and she wasn't allowed to officiate over marriages, I think it was, because she was a lesbian woman. I might not have the facts entirely straight, but it was predicated on some discrimination against her through the church by virtue of her sexual orientation. The Methodist Church of Southern Africa is the second biggest church in this country behind the Zion Christian Church. So that's a serious influence in society. If its institutions, the church itself now, can be like that, supposedly against one of their own, where then does society feature? That's the first question, because I'm reading a couple of messages here on our Twitter page, and I do welcome all of these conversations that we are having on Twitter, because our WhatsApp line is down. Please, everybody, at Songas on my bed, at SAFM Viewpoint. Please keep your thoughts coming through. Sherwin D. Peters, salutations, Songas. If a public servant is paid to do a job, said public servant shouldn't allow their religious beliefs to interfere with the duties they are paid for. How many marry... How does marrying a queer couple comprise your faith? Well, Saul Kofsen responds to not necessarily Sherwin D. Peters, but Saul Kofsen's view is there's no such thing as same-sex marriage. It's called partnership. Marriage is between man and a woman. Siegel going on to say, so should government take away the rights of civil servants because LGBTI rights matter more? That's a question he asks. Equally, Muzi saying Sodom is legal, Sodom that is legalized is bound to unleash God's wrath. Your response to some of these comments in relation to my question as well? Yes, um, yes, indeed. I mean, 
you, you've already mentioned the story about uh, what has happened um, in the Methodist Church, but when you look at what um, uh, Ecclesia basically has done, I mean, she'd be credited for being able to bear to stand to be who she is and what her desires are, because the conversation has now moved uh, from within the church. That in fact, there's now even discussion. Of course, it's not perfect uh, outcome. However, the fact that there is deliberation, even to the extent of saying that those who, you know, and, and of course that's about the civil unions, the, 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 the law where the issue of conscience has been has come through. Uh, which is now in the Methodist Church uh, discussion that has, I mean, the last time I had discussion from there, allowing ministers to be able to, you know, uh, for their for, for the continuum of their pastoral care, and uh, that they can do that, and and and, and even developing liturgy to that extent. And all I'm simply for me that underlines the fact that daring to engage. Um, to bring about results. I mean, I, it, it's so unfortunate for people to continue uh, putting a version of theirs on the story of Sodom, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And that story had, had nothing to do about homosexuality. It, it is totally nothing to do about that. In fact, if you, a Bible reader, would actually know that even Jesus had spoken about the Sodom and Gomorrah and was able to put the issues in perspective concerning uh, that situation. It has not, it was not, it's, it's about being violent, it's about uh, a failure to be receptive of others, it is not about whether uh, there was a same sex. Um, uh, 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 same-sex relations going on there. And, and therefore, we can no longer continue to uh, 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 have a, an interpretation that's based on that, because that's not true. Uh, I, I do want to say that uh, the, the movement that has happened in terms of uh, the both National Assembly and the, the, the NCOP uh, ultimately um, uh, amending the civil unions uh, law for for me is progress in a sense that it is saying that government uh, cannot participate. It has no duty to be religious to decide which which marriage is marriage and which, but that it should provide services to all people on an equal basis. And for me to then have a law of that nature. Should be that because it still does not deny uh, those who are uh, I mean churches to continue to have the marriages they have it, but it does not it does not deny them to do that because they will continue to do that. However, it does not at the same time close out for uh, a gay gay same sex couples to be able to enjoy the services and and their constitutional rights being being, being promoted. Um, and so people who work and let's let's I mean the next twenty four months let's look forward to seeing home affairs preparing for that to happen and I wish it was even lesser than that in terms of time. 
I'm going to engage Letlohonolo immediately after this break, but the question that I want you to think about, Letlohonolo, how dangerous are these arguments that predicate things on the Bible? The Bible says this, the Bible doesn't say this. How dangerous is Christianity or the constant references of God in our law in this country? For instance, you're a constitutionalist, so let me take you to the preamble. The final four lines of the preamble say, may God protect our people. So it goes on ultimately to say, with that being a preamble to the country's most foundational document, how dangerous or useful, I have no particular opinion, I want to hear your thoughts on this, is the reference to God stroke Christianity to laws that govern society as South Africa is, that is not necessarily 100% Christian. Surely that in itself poses, in my view, and I put to you, a problem because Gabriel Lomachila says it's unfair to hide with the Bible. Not everybody's a Christian. And for those who have views on this, 0891-104-207, immediately after the short sting, we have Leclonolo's response and hopefully your calls from home. SAFM, leading the conversation. Call Songhez or now, 0891-104-207. Let's run are you there? I'm here. So, look, Songhez, I think that we're not a Christian state, right? We are purported to be a secular state. And the Constitution is very clear. Section 9 of the Constitution says everyone is equal before the law and has equal protection of the law. And 9.3 says that the state may not directly or indirectly discriminate on any person on the basis of, amongst other things, sexual orientation, sex, and gender. So I don't know where the Bible comes in, where the law is clear. Everyone is equal before the law and has equal protection of the law. So if I'm a queer person and the law says that I'm able to get married, should I not enjoy the benefits of that law? I should, right? But we know that the unfortunate truth is this, is that the law is not um, this magical thing. It has to be implemented by people. And when we embolden discrimination through legislative structures, we are effectively emboldening the dangers of people using their religion in order to discriminate against certain particular people. Right, we think about it in the context of a number of years ago, women were not developed as as full people, so they had to, you know, effectively uh, do certain things through their husbands. That was patriarchy, also based on the law, so in, in also based on religion. So in many ways, right, the bedrock of like coming from a Roman and that law principle is thinking about the tinkling of the church and the law, the church and the state, and how that. It's not always clear, because we still think that, like, Christians should have a say, right? And we, we often only think about Christianity. We often only think about, like, what are Christians going to say? Because even when you think about the, in 2000, when uh, Ms. Faree and, and her, her partner went to challenge this, one of the people who challenged this was a religious group. And the religious group says, no, we cannot have this, not in this country, we can't do this. Like, it would be absurd for us to allow queer people in this country to get married. So we think about, like, how deeply entrenched religion is in our society. But we also 
It's interesting because as you've heard the reverend speak, it's thinking about like also there may be some misinterpretations of the word and how that misinterpretation has been used to fill people's own prejudice. Perhaps the Bible is not saying what it is saying, and then people are using what the Bible is saying in order to further their own agendas. So people are homophobic, and they're saying, no, the church, and the Bible says that we must be homophobic. So oftentimes you used to think about like how religion is used to embolden people's own discrimination, and perhaps religion does not necessarily say the things that people are saying it says. In good time, then surely the Constitution has to reference or has to review those four lines in the preamble. Why should God protect South Africa? Why can deities and a class of them be used for the purposes of blessing South Africa? Why God? Because when you talk about God, you're talking to a Christian. Table for final question. Why should you know, God protect South Africa? That's not necessarily so. Um, I, 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 I think that... Um, uh, the, first, first of all, I mean, it's very clear from there that, from that, from the preamble, that there is an acknowledgement uh, of, of of God, not because God is Christian, uh, but that there is actually multiple religions that make reference to God, and the, the fact that, uh, the, in terms of setting up the law, there's been equality in there, for me, actually, is the substance. That the equality of all faiths, even though it is said that statistically there are more Christians in this country, but it's the fact that all who are religious are equally seen by the state. And so that government must serve all uh, without discriminating because of their religion. And I think that, for me, that's that's, uh, that, that's, that's, that's where we should be and we should seek to fulfill that. Uh, so that you, by, by having a particular faith, an expression of faith, you are still welcome, uh, but it is not your faith that's going to dictate that others must not be, be, be promoted and defended. And okay, I'm hold sure. the thought. I'm going to come back to you. Hold the thought, please, Demokho, because I have to take a couple of calls. Mr. Anonymous in KZN, followed by Anonymous in Durban as well. Mr. Mr. Anonymous in KZN, please. Ms. Anonymous in KZN, please. Hello? Indeed. Your, your thoughts very quickly, please, ma'am. Okay, I just want to say, you know, people that come into the faith of Christianity from other faiths, they play dual roles. They, they don't, they're not staunch or true to God because one day they are swaying on the other side and one day they are swaying on the side of the boat. You know, uh, so they're really not true to God. People, and there are some people, they still believe in the old faith, in the, in the, in the faith that they were previously. And they use the Bible uh, to say uh, they hide behind Jesus, they hide behind the Bible. Just like Muslims, Muslims are following the same trend as well where they hide behind the Quran as well and hide behind the prophet by lying all the time. You, you've got to be staunch, you've got to be true, you've got to be kind, you've got to be polite, you've got to be caring, you've got to be all those beautiful names that make you a good Christian or a good Muslim. Excellent. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank I'm you. Almost short and sweet. Um, is there another call? I understand there's an, another anonymous in KZN. Anonymous, good evening. Anonymous, good evening. 
Okay, let me come back to you, Mr. Reverend Debuchoklas. You said that the majority of this country is Christian. Where do you get that statistic from? Well, um, states, state South Africa, of course, uh, I just can't remember the year, but it has been there about 87% of the population being Christian. Um, what, what, can you define so, Christian, so please? I think 20, 2011. Okay, fine. So, Define Christian. Define Christian. What, what does Christian mean? Define that for me, please. Well, in simple terms, it's people who follow the teachings of Christ. Um, and they are not homogeneous um, in terms of their understanding of the teachings of Christ because there are those who would say they follow the, the, the teachings of Christ and yet would be uh, more around laws that discriminate people uh, in the instance of our discussion uh, LGBTI uh, people uh, and Christian and African and all of that that's the view they hold whilst they would be at sim simultaneously those who would say uh, regardless of who you are you are welcome and all of that so the, the, there's so there's multiple multiple ways in which they are emerging. Uh, so in other words, these people amount to at least something like 42 to 43 million people in this country, given the fact that we have a population of somewhat in excess of 55 million. So that definition you suggest to me and to the listeners at home applies to some 42 to 43 million people in South Africa. Is that what you are saying, essentially? You gave us eighty-seven percent. Well, I, well, that's 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 what statistics of South Africa has given to us as a number. I'm not sure whether it's that number because, it, as I'm saying, it refers to a statistic a statistic that was provided about 2011 or something like that. No, and, no, no, I, I was and, just and deducing what you were saying because I, I just have this anxiety in relation to... The majority of the citizens um, of the country are, subs are subscribing to the Christian faith. That's, that, that's exactly how, what I'm having at this quiet, please, in relation to that statistic, that the majority of South Africans, 87%, subscribe to Christianity, Christianity as you have defined, because... When you say subscribe, what do you mean? Is it people who are card-carrying members of a registered church? Is it people who practice the religion? Is it people who are baptized? Is it people who read the Bible religiously and hold particular views based on whoever God is? You mentioned the fact that the Constitution doesn't have a bias to Christians. I, I would submit to you that it does because it uses God here. Those religions that do not use God, for instance, Allah. Utamata is yeah. not necessarily the Christian God that we know now, but Utamata is not catered for here. Why then is this one deity given preference over all the many other deities and then well, say still, no, it doesn't mean that we are a Christian society? This reference speaks to Christianity. There's no other God yeah. it is talking to other than the Christian God here. Well, uh, that's fine, I guess, but however, this is not a discussion about it. I just simply say because I have a view that's slightly different about who God is because it's expressed in, 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 in other languages such as Allah, which still means God. And I've heard Christians, for instance, in Palestine, who call God Allah instead of calling God God as we normally would call. And so uh, all I'm simply saying is I'm accepting. I think one of the 
what 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 our faith, what our Christian constitution is saying is is celebrating the religious diversity that is there. It is by saying God does not necessarily mean it says the God who is professed only by the Christians. Um, and 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 so when you say Kosisigelele Africa, God bless Africa, it simply says uh, the, there's there's God who is celebrated, and and the people who celebrate are also celebrated by the Constitution of South Africa. But as I'm very saying, well, let's leave it there. It's time for news. It's time for news. We have to end the conversation. The Thank you so much, Doc. It's nine o'clock. Sorry about that, Greg. Close. Okay.